Hello, I'm Dick Foth, and I'd like to welcome you to Known, stories to make sense of it all. And these stories are what I call walking books, real-life people, different places, different ages, different cultures, and I want to have some conversations with them across disciplines and generations and cultures in order to encourage a kind of knowing, uh, fresh lenses through which to see the world. One of those lenses will be scripture, or more specifically, Jesus of Nazareth, whose life, I believe, changed the course of the history of the world. So, thanks for listening in. Great to have you with us. Well, it's Thanksgiving week, and I wanted to just uh, encourage you with both some readings and a great conversation that I had with a farmer friend back in Illinois a few weeks back. Let's start with part of a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in the first century to a farming community in northern Greece, little town, probably 10,000 to 15,000 people. It was called Philippi. Listen to what he says in the last part of his letter. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Things to give thanks for. Back in October of 1863, October the 3rd to be precise, Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, right in the middle of the worst war we've ever experienced in terms of casualties, what we call the Civil War, issued a proclamation regarding what we're going to do this week, Thanksgiving week. Listen to what he says. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but, um, but the context is this brutal conflict that's going on. Washington, D.C., October 3, 1863, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To those bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. He says some things about the war itself and then goes on to say this. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. 
It has seemed to me, Lincoln goes on, fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. So here I am in a unique place. I'm sitting at a farm table in a farmhouse with some farming friends and a couple of other folks, just a few miles south of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. The property here has been in the Warfel family since 1882, and I'm sitting with uh, Lynn Warfel as my guest today, who is a, a farmer par excellence. I, I call him my Renaissance farmer because he's a, he's a scientist, he's a board member of Farm Bureau to University stuff, He's a poet and a, a thinker, and he plows the dirt, and he grows stuff. Thank you for being with me, Lynn. It's a pleasure, uh, but you need to know we don't call it dirt anymore. It's soil. Oh, so, well, I see. <laughs> That's the part of my education. They're, they're both four-letter words, yeah, and, and they're, they're, and they're really good ones. Really different. <laughs> yeah. Dirt and soil are different. So the thing I'd like to talk to you about uh, this evening, and we're, and we're coming on twilight here in Illinois, in November, October, excuse me, late October, uh, I just want to talk about the science of farming. Uh, I mean, you uh, have been a farmer now for how long? I just finished harvesting my 55th crop. 55th crop. And it's corn and soybeans. It's not... It's not rutabaga and whatever. No, historically, uh, we grew a lot of different kind of animals, uh, cows and pigs and chickens and sheep, um, but we've gradually specialized more and more in, and settled just on corn and soybeans. How many kinds of products use corn or the, or the stuff that comes from corn? Uh, corn is actually fairly complex. Uh, there's, there's the seed coat that is used for a number of things. And after that, it, it's uh, basically protein and carbohydrate and oil. So corn oil is, is visible right. in the grocery stores as a vegetable oil, and it's a fine vegetable oil. Uh, the protein uh, is important in the diets of, of many of the people on the face of the earth today. Uh, it's a good protein, but one of the issues with corn is that uh, there's too much carbohydrate. If you just eat corn, uh, there's not enough protein. So you need more protein than you can get from the corn. It's corn's used in in hundreds of, of products besides cereal. Um, there's there's the is it, is it in my gas that I put in my car? Actually, yes. We can we can use the carbohydrate part, the starch part, to make either sugar for high fructose corn sweetener or ethanol, and and that's a pretty good fuel. And uh, a lot of the corn today is divided into the different parts, and the starchy part is used for fuel. Okay, so so you're harvesting things in corn and soybeans that touch the whole planet. I think I know this number, but you tell me. How, how many people can one farmer feed? What's that metric? It's gone up substantially in my career. Um, it is now one, one American farmer feeds himself or herself and 155 other people. There you go. Yeah. 
it's amazing because in this, right here in this area, historically, the first Americans, uh, the ones we call Indians or Native Americans, they were just first, uh, they would often starve because they were hungry. They hadn't enough food to eat to survive. Right. And so starvation was fairly common. And now we're producing incredible amounts of food on the same land. So when I met you in the late 60s or early 70s, so that's almost 50 years ago, if my math is right, um, you were farming about 2,000 acres with help here correct? Something like that. I started with 160 acres, went to 500 acres, eventually went to uh, about 1,000 acres, and then to 2,000 acres. Okay. Now you're back to 640 plus or take a little bit, Yeah. mostly by yourself. And I can do that with large machinery. Um, the productivity of the machinery has changed dramatically in my career. So, so tell our listeners, if you will, how, how long it took your grandpa to, well, just Give us that little story about your grandpa. Well, great-grandpa and my grandpa uh, were really hard-working guys, and they could harvest 100 bushels of corn in a really big day. They had to really work hard to be able to do that. Not all men could do 100 bushels a day. How did they do that? Uh, by hand. Right. They would grab an, an ear of corn and jerk it off the stock and throw it into a, a wagon. Over their shoulders, you say? Yeah. No, uh, often, no looking? Just uh, toss? Well, there was a bang board on the wagon, and yes. they knew that. So uh, all they had to do was do a bank shot. And I was going to say, it sounds like a precursor to the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Good training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they could do 100 bushels a day. Uh, the combine I have right now is just a medium-sized combine. There are two sizes larger than mine, uh, but on 800 acres, mine is fine. It'll do about 1,200 bushels an hour. 1,200 bushels an hour yeah. compared to 100 bushels a day. Yes. Blue Shirt Farmer. Chambray, to be clear, is a fabric well-known to farmers Grandpa wore one every workday. I can picture him bucking bales, filling the barn hay mow, a giant cavity, winter food for the cattle. I worked with him pulling millet, by hand of course, yield robbing grass, a million seeds, it choked the corn picker, plugged the snapping roll, sometimes mangled hands. He never cursed that I heard, but I wondered if he silently did it. Blue shirt turned dark with his sweat. Oh, how he worked. Sun up to dark 30 in the fields. Before dawn, milking, feeding livestock. Grandma's clotheslines were long. Her wash fluttered in summer breezes. Winter washings froze stiff, like us. But dried anyhow, somehow. Great-grandma carried five-gallon buckets of water. Monday was carry day. Tuesday, wash day. Too much work for one day. First grandma washed the lines, then had clothespins in her apron. I can still see her working, deeply satisfied, clean clothes on display, flapping in the breezes. Turning, she'd see her blue-shirted farmer working, sorting cattle, separating, some to sale, some to keep. A good life. Came a sad day, Grandpa's shirt changed, blue chambray to white hospital gown, soon to be an angel somewhere, unseen 
yet still present. The grandson, in his blue work shirt, same fields, same work, till, plant, cultivate, harvest, same sun, same stars, but no cows, no plows, no clothesline out back. Trains still pass by just north, purring diesels, not chug-chugging steamers, small boxcars replaced by giant hopper bottoms from 40 cars to 120 cars long. Corn and soy surge away, far away, distant lands receiving. From our farm to South Africa, white corn, yellow corn to Mexico, China, soybeans to Japan. Oh, how our world has changed. Except the farmer wears blue shirts. So when we think of science and we think of agriculture, what are the big things you've seen in the last 30 years that have changed it? Like, I know this part. <laughs> like the GPS yes. that guides your combine, right? Well, yes, that's part of the computerization of agriculture. Um, and, and GPS technology is really neat. Um, and that allows us to collect terrific amounts of, of information and organize it and make sense out of it so that it's useful. It's not just the collection of data, it's useful data. And so computerization since about 1980 has been uh, really helpful. Like, and, like how? How does it help you? Um, just, just give me a little snippet. Um, we can, we can uh, collect layers of information and then compare those layers. Uh, for example, we can take a soil sample every 100 feet in a field and then put that on a map uh, and have it in a digital form. And that's one layer. And then we can, with our combine, uh, with computerization, we're able to, every 100 feet, in effect, take a sample of the productivity of that exact spot in that exact field and create another digital map and overlay those two maps and then see um, how the productivity of that specific spot is. And then we can also do stuff like drainage work and overlay that with the other two layers. Uh, and then we can overlay information from various hybrids. And so we can overlay lots of solid data. Uh, when I first started farming, uh, there was a whole lot of seat of the pants kind of stuff. Sure. So, you know, from experience and from uh, my grandpa and so forth, we could make fairly good guesses right. about things. But in today's world, computerization allows us to use data. Okay. So what? So what, is it, what does that do for you? We get more and more efficient and more and more productive. So the productivity... So you, so you get bigger out. bang for the buck or bigger bang for the seed in this case? Yes. Yes. And so uh, whereas uh, 100 years ago, uh, the United States did not ex export that much. Today, uh, we expo export tremendous amounts of, of uh, foodstuffs like corn and soybeans. Wow. You were talking to me earlier, offline as, as it were, about <clears throat> what I would consider microbiology, that is looking not at what grows up out of the ground, but what is in fact in the ground. Just talk to me about that a little bit. Well, this, this is the in most the, exciting the soil, time of my career. Not in the dirt. <laughs> right, soil. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> we're learning here. Uh, with computerization, with genetics, and the third area that's really exciting is, is what we're learning about microbes. 
Fifty-some mm-hmm. uh, years ago, when I was a college student, I studied five in the soil. We're now studying 10,000 in the soil, in plants, and in human beings. Uh, there's one billion microbes in one teaspoon of soil. The soil is so alive, it's phenomenal. That's why we can't call it dirt anymore, Dick. We've got to call it soil. Thank you very much. Uh, yes. and, and so we're constantly learning now, hand over fist, about microbes and how they interact with each other in the soil, in plants, and also in humans. Uh, the science there is really fascinating, and there's wonderful, very bright people in our universities and in, in companies studying microbes hand over fist and discovering things. Um, I'm getting old. I'm 76 now, and, and one of the things I've learned is that basically we discover things. We don't invent things. The microbes, microbes have been here all the time. Just we're just now discovering them. You just found them. Yeah, we're just opening those doors, and it's phenomenal. Creation is absolutely phenomenal. So, so when you you write, you don't sit down and write essays per se. You write with a felt marker, I think. Yes. A Sharpie. Yeah. On the inside of your combine window as you as you plow or or as the as the eye in the sky plows for you. Whatever whatever that is that's going on, where they turn yeah. on a dime and get straight rows and all that. Yeah. Straight for us. Like what do you why do you write and what do you write on the on the windows of your combine? Well, my environment there, I'm spending 14, 16 hours in this little glass house right. uh, by myself. Right. And after listening to the radio for so long, that gets kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm thinking and I'm observing. Uh, I'm seeing the, the clouds and the sky and watching uh, what's happening in the fields. Uh, and as I see all these things, I'm just inspired to reflect on them and to, to write about them. So initially, I just I write my thoughts on the windows with the felt tip sharpie, and then I transpose those from the window to a laptop uh, to the internet via uh, email. So I read a couple of your pieces from your visit to Normandy in the yeah. summer of 2017. When I read about the farming, you're you're talking about the moisture in the morning and the sounds of the birds and the and the smell of the of the earth. And as a as a man of faith, of, of someone who believes Jesus is actually real, what does it do to your faith or for your faith when you do this day in and day out? Both see it and write about it. Um, well, I have auto steer on the tractors and the combine uh, with GPS technology. Uh, the tractor can steer itself right. on a, in a straight line. Right. So my hands don't need to be on, on the steering wheel. So you're actually, like a pilot. Yeah, it doesn't really want my hands on the steering wheel. So hands yeah. off. Okay. So what do I do for 14 hours? Okay. i got to sit on that seat or the machine stops. Okay. Okay. So... Um, uh, in my lifetime, everything I've studied, the more in-depth I study it, the more I see design. It's, it's not just accidental. There's design so that things work. Um, these microbes are working with each other. They're doing things. They're creating chemicals. They're creating chemistry. They're reacting to their environment. So the more I study that, the more, the more I can see design. Uh, the more I see the weather, the more I see the crops, the more I see 
what happens when I produce food and it goes through our channels to people that are hungry and need food. The more I see, um, the invisible hand is really visible mm. uh, if you look hard enough. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any difference whether it's, it's microbes or uh, in the soil or something else. Um, the designs are there. And it's us up to us to discover those designs. So the next time I'm driving through the country somewhere and I see some farmer plowing his field, there might be a decent chance that what I see as farming, he's seeing as the fingerprints of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty awesome. Um, God is providing. Um, and, and it's up to us to be good stewards of what he has provided. Uh, it's pretty clear, you know, that he wants us to take care of it and not to abuse it. He told us that at the front end, didn't he? Oh, yeah, right yeah. off the bat. This is I'm giving this to you. Take care of it. That's your job. You take care of this. And, and the first job was as a gardener, horticulturist, right, or, yeah. or an arborist or whatever. <laughs> yeah. They get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, let me shift gears just a little bit more because we're running out of time here, at least for this conversation. You've served on university boards city councils or village councils. You've served on Farm Bureau boards. You've chaired numbers of them. You've served on statewide educational boards, church board. I don't know how many boards you've served on, but talk to me about the mindset, because there's some people who are listening who are, are leaders of one kind of another, or, or maybe don't even see themselves as leaders but in fact, if they were to serve on a team or a committee or a board, their insights would be valuable. Tell me just a little bit about what kind of person does well in a board setting. And this is the first time you've heard this question, for folks, I did not set this up. This is totally <laughs> okay. spontaneous sitting here. Talk to me about that just a bit, if you don't mind. Well, core values have a great deal to do with it. And one of, one of the early core values that I learned as a Christian um, was, was that um, the essence of the Bible message is that we are to invest ourselves in people and in things eternal. So um, the things eternal, uh, we can study, we can read the Bible, we can associate with each other to worship the Lord. As far as investing in people, how does one go about that? And um, if, if you study people and you see what their needs are, uh, you can look at the, the structures that are in place, whether it's schools or business, uh, the various different things in a community, uh, social clubs like Rotary and Kiwanis and Lions and so forth. You can see how all these things can help people do better. Um, and, and life is, is a long uh, highway of, of um, mankind trying to do better. Hardly anybody starts out thinking, how can I mess this up? Yeah. <laughs> it's how can we do this better? Sure. So if you study um, people and how to, how to do things better, you can start to see that there are some structures that work much better than others. Uh, and that begins with the personal investment of, of, of uh, investing yourself in people. After that, 
the structures that help. Everybody needs to have some understanding of fiduciary things, the legal and financial matters that all of us need to deal with. Fiduciary meaning you have something in trust yes. and you have to care for it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so it's good for people to take a turn right. at those kind of things. Maybe not do uh, long term, but take a turn sure. and learn how this stuff works, sure. whether it's a school board or, or whatever. Uh, we should all spend a little bit of our, our time, our days, helping these kinds of things. And then looking, studying those structures and looking at what works and what works better. And then the, the, the next part of it that we need to really do a lot more conscious work on is uh, the creative part, that um, the creator uh, created everything, and, and it's here for a reason, and how we work with it um, is, is important stuff, but how we organize ourselves to, ourselves to work with it uh, is something that some people can do more easily than others. So, so when somebody sits on a board, Mm-hmm. participates in the board, not just sits on the board. They are in the process of, of organizing an effort, structuring things in a way to be more productive. Yes. Not unlike the efficiency and effectiveness that comes with science and farming. Right. We're trying to organize things, understand things in a way that makes us productive. Yes. And ideas are, are really important. Um, and there are things we can do to help uh, ideas grow. Uh, if you're on a board, um, you can provide some ideas yourself and then put that out for discussion and for thinking and maybe for action. But coming up with ideas is an important part of being on a board. And then uh, the, the rest of that is, is how do you work with the ideas that somebody else puts up? Uh, what comes naturally is stepping on the idea or stomping on the idea. Early. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you kill creativity. Uh, so a good board member tries to encourage those who put forth an idea and consider that idea carefully and respectfully. Um, some ideas are going to work and some are not going to work. But each board member can help create an atmosphere of creativity that enhances and enables creativity. When I first became president of this little college in California, we had 35 board members. Somebody, because you never know at what level or weightiness an idea put on the table, should be considered, right? I mean, you don't right. know. Right. And this one fellow said, when, when you put a thought out there, why don't you use the one, two, three method that he had used in a different setting? Mm-hmm. Well, one is, I just thought of this idea and I'm putting it out there. So you can say it's not great, so I won't be offended. A two is, I've really thought about this. I'm emotionally connected to it. Be very careful when you respond to it. And a three is, God said it. Everybody get under the table. <laughs> and, and so we, we had a deal one day, and somebody sort of gave a monologue that was pretty heated. And one of the other fellows on the board said, uh, Bob, he said, what... Um, what was that? Was that a... Because you, you could identify. This is a 0.7 or a 1.2 or a 2. He's, he's, he said, what, what number was that? He's, he said, he's always, always about a, one, a 1.3. He said, really? It sounded like a 2.8. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I, think, I think the things that we do in concert, when Jesus says where two or three are gathered, I show up, I, 
I think that in itself may be the most powerful number in the world, but this idea of doing things in concert together, whether it's all of the science from the scientists and the manufacturers that goes into making your your job as a farmer so much more productive now than before, or whether it's sitting on a board, um, all of those things, all of those orchestrations, I think profound expressions of what we're built for. And um, I've got to tell you, I always like coming to Warfel Farms. I always <laughs> like sitting at this table and eating the things that Kay made, which were the chicken casserole and some strawberries. And what did you call that, Kay? Panna cotta. Panna cotta. You need to get the recipe, folks. Just write in. No, don't write in. <laughs> but anyway, it's been a good moment. Thank you, Lyndon. I appreciate you. Love you. And... Uh, and there's the phone, and it's time to stop. <laughs> Good night, all. See you. Bye-bye. Just before we sign off this Thanksgiving week, let me read you one more of Lynn's thoughts. Sharpie penciled on the inside of a combine cab. He calls it nightcap. Mother Earth has her seasons sometimes smoothing us from one to another. November comes to mind. Here on the food-filled prairie, we find fields of two-week stubble beards, cornstalk remnants, stiff, short soldiers, standing guard over mulched black soil, and soybean fields harvested, looking like earth carpet, cozy blanketed against ice and snow. Frost meets still warm sunshine, early morning greetings of diamonds on grass, leaves carpeting yards instead of gracing trees. It's almost like a nightcap before winter sleeps. Growing darkness hours, clock games begin, fall back, wait for spring forward. Good night, sweet soil, from whence I came and shall return. <laughs>